Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. To celebrate the upcoming 300th episode of the podcast, Guy and I designed a special t-shirt for the occasion, and there's only two days to order one. At the time of this taping, we need 11 more shirts to be ordered to make it happen. Please support the podcast by visiting customink.com slash fundraising slash episode 300, and you can access the link in the podcast description or the link in the bio of the Instagram page of the podcast, which is at Sound and Vision Podcast. The shirts are super soft American apparel tees with a very cool drawing by Guy and I of the Sound and Vision logo. You can check it out and support the podcast. Here's to episode 300. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best paint you can buy. You can find their products at any art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Head over to fulcrumcoffee.com and check out all the different coffee varieties they have to order. And you can also check out their subscriptions. From $15 a month, you can order different coffees to be delivered to your door. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Louis Esperit is a Cuban-American artist that creates through a wide range of media, including photography, film, painting, and sculpture. Born out of research into subject matter that intersect themes of American popular imagination, social class anxiety, art history, and his Caribbean lineage. His art strives to bring things in our world that are marginalized or underappreciated from the edges to the center so they can be seen in their fullness. He attended Miami-Dade College and studied film and sculpture at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and Yale University. He's exhibited and screened his work internationally in museums and galleries such as the Brooklyn Museum of Art, the Studio Museum in Harlem, Shanghai Museum of Contemporary Art, the Whitney Museum of American Art, the Museum of Contemporary Art in North Miami, the Contemporary Arts Museum in Houston, the Royal Academy in London, the Haifa Museum in Israel, the Des Moines Art Center, and the Guggenheim. His work is represented in over 21 public collections, including the Museum of Fine Art Boston, SF MoMA, the Whitney, the Guggenheim, the Bronx Museum, the New Museum, the Harvard Fogg Art Museum, the Des Moines Art Center, the Perez Museum, and the Henry Art Gallery. He's been a visiting artist lecturer at Yale University, Columbia University, NYU, and the University of Pennsylvania. Luis and I talk about slow cinema, Miami, sculpture, photography and film, storytelling, and much more. Here's our conversation. Out of nowhere, just like all of a sudden, there's just lines around the block. Yeah, I mean, since COVID happened, I mean, right when COVID hit, we had our second girl and so so it's been an interesting two years i can't imagine like oh man it was nuts although i'm sure in a lot of ways it's actually okay in the sense that as far as like socialization and stuff 
you know, does yeah. being home all the time for a newborn is yeah. what you do yeah. anyways. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. Like in the beginning of going to the doctor, like I knew people that were, you know, pregnant during and had the kid like in the middle of the, like when it was really bad. Now it's just terrifying for people. Yeah. I mean, everyone's fine, but just the fear of even going to the doctor, leaving the house. But yeah. Do you think we're going to have, this isn't a fun thought, let's start off the podcast with this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we're going to have like a, a generation or at least a group of adults who grew up in this time who are just going to be anxious humans? Or do you think people's personalities override the environment? So you're going to just have your laid back, oh, we'll be fine people, and then you'll have, like, <laughs> you know, like, I can't, I got to wash my hands 40 times. You know, do you think yeah. it's got to change things a little bit? I think it's the age group, too. Uh, I feel, because when it hit, we had a newborn, we had a newborn, and then we had a pre-K. So at that age, so she had kindergarten this past year, all masked up, sitting in a salad bar. And that definitely does something. But I think the older kids that I saw, friends that have, like your kid just just started high school? Is he in ninth grade? Yeah, yeah. He's a high schooler. So I, I think at that age, they probably get it a little worse. But what I noticed, I think it's down to the kids, the children's personality and the parents' personality. Yeah. Uh, like my daughter's, pretty the, the she's pretty resilient and maybe we we kind of were chill about it and we didn't make a big deal about it and kind of almost insulated her so she kind of dealt with it pretty well with the masks and not going to school and remote learning but she had friends of the same age kindergarten first grade age where the parents were very neurotic oh yeah super worked up about the whole thing and the fear and it transferred to the kids like you could just the kids' anxiety was being transferred in these poor kids. So I think, yeah. I think, I, yeah, yeah, it's, I, it's like yeah. everything just got amplified, right? Like, no matter what you were like, it just went from, like, 5 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you were, like, laid back, you went from 5 to 10 laid back. If you were a germaphobe, you went from 5 to 10. Right. If you didn't really you, like hanging around with people anyways, you were kind of a homebody, right. that went from 5 right. to 20. Right, exactly. <laughs> The greatest excuse never to, yeah. And I've, I've been, I've been coming kind of a hermit in the last, since having my first child. And then the second one, and it is happening. I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, it's like right in the wheelhouse of a lot of creatives, you know, like you're, the way that you normally work is like isolated, or at least with your thoughts, you know. So right. maybe right. it was a little less of a shock to the system. You know, those people who were social butterflies really had it hard. Yeah, and they also got hit hard. Like, I know a few very socially active artists that were, that got, yeah, they got the COVID. It was pretty scary. Yeah. Like, some people got, you know, the people that were always out everywhere during and right before it. And the crazy thing is, I was, I was traveling. I was in China right that February when it, when it happened. And I was, like, on one of the last flights back when they, before they closed the airport, I, I was, I didn't catch, I didn't get anything. I got very lucky, but you know, but people, after that, I just cut it all out. But every, I know people who got really sick, like yeah. almost died because they were like, what was the last art fair before the whole, is it the armory? 
which was what two years ago. Was it going to that? Or Basel? Did no Basel wouldn't have made it. Basel that June didn't make it, but I think it was like that last hurrah of the February, January fairs. Remember going to that reluctantly, and it was a ghost town. And then everybody started getting a lot of people got sick, but then people kept hanging out. so were yeah, you, like it's yeah. I was just gonna say, are you would you classify yourself as a chill parent? So you're pretty relaxed, um, like you you had a, yeah. a calm about it. Yeah, we were pretty chill. Um, my wife, yeah, we were, we took it pretty, we took it in stride, and we were fortunate that we have we have enough space, um, which helped. Um, we had a backyard, and um, yeah, so that was a wise that, move. You probably didn't plan helped. for that whenever you did no. that, but that was a good move, <laughs> dude. It was crazy because we, when we bought this place, we didn't even have kids, and we weren't even thinking about kids or school. So, being the neighborhood, of course, we picked a neighbor that had valley, but the school system was you know, there is no school here, yeah. there aren't any viable schools, and then we ended up, you know, like, oh. But then it all made sense to go. Like, oh, we have room. We have outdoor spaces, and so that yeah, that really made a especially with yeah with little ones. Um, drive. Do you remember? Did you driving around was so nice. Oh yeah, like, we we could actually be in the Bronx in twenty minutes. You know. Like, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was like uh, like I am Legend with Will Smith. Like it was like yeah. the, the city was empty. And we went out because I had a video playing in Times Square for this like animation thing. And we were like, well, yeah. let's go. And it was when it was getting like grim, like at the very, very beginning. But you knew this was like serious. And we we're like, well, yeah. let's just go drive and see it from the car. Wow. And that was the last trip we took. And we were in basically for, you know, forever. And uh, when we, it took maybe like 10 minutes to get in there. It, it was just crazy. And, and once you get there, it, did you get, I mean, we just have amazing documentation with like Times Square pretty much just like, Empty. It was empty, right? There was maybe, Amazing. I, we would see at any given moment, like, two people walking around or three people, like, separated, you know, just, like, one person over there walking, yeah. no cars, a cop car once in a while. It was really creepy. I missed that. I mean, in a way, I missed that, because I remember, you ever talk to old-timers that grew up in the city, I don't know, in the 50s, yeah. or, and they, and they talk about the days when there were very few cars, yep. and you could just go from one end to the other of Manhattan in, like, 10 minutes, and, Yeah. Just like, yeah, well, we we had it for a little while, and then we're back. That's it's the thing. It's like the grass is always greener, right? Like during COVID, it was like, oh my god, I'm being in this place, I'm crazy. I just want to go out to like a store or you know wiping down groceries. And then when it's <laughs> over, you're like, oh, I was, didn't really have to go out. And when I went to the store, there weren't like five million people in there. You know, it's always like this thing of like, oh, I miss certain aspect. Like the grass is always greener. I mean, one of the things I realized is like, it's like, man, I don't want to be like looking to get another place. Like I'm looking to get another, actively to get another studio living space and a place that's not too remote, but like, you know, with nature and water close by and yeah. just a place to, to spend. Like, I'm, you know, even thinking like down the road, like expatting or something, like I'm looking at Spain to get a place. A studio that would be amazing. I mean, how? Yeah, the last trip we Um, took before was to Barcelona. I think I sent you a picture ah, from there. But yeah, I mean, 
What a place. Oh. We just Barcelona is beautiful. Back. Love Barcelona. I mean, it was so nice. But we have that same fantasy about moving to Japan in the countryside because yeah, it's cheap. There's land. Yes. There's space. Yes. And wouldn't it be nice to just retire out of like everything you know in a way and just go somewhere yeah. where you can like you right. know, detach from all that? The way you could of, keep like, your. Go ahead. You could always keep your place in the city, of course. Oh, yeah, you know, you for come, sure. Yeah. But it's like funny. Like at that point, I'm looking 20 years in advance. I'm like, it's like, do I really want to be in Brooklyn 20 years from now? Mm, You're having I, that too? I'm having that. Like, yeah. I want to be like 58 living in Williamsburg. Right? <laughs> like, I like you want to have your place and rent it out to some guy who's going to like pay you five times the rent. But yeah, you want to be collecting those rent checks in the uh, Japanese countryside. I think so. I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it. It's like you get those moments, but then you get so busy because every here it's like the, the city is so like busy constantly, you know that it's hard to really think about it. It's just like a back of the mind. I feel like it's just gonna have to be a spur of the moment decision of like, all right, let's pack up, we're out of here. Well, you're saying Japan. I mean, that's that makes me think. It's like, what's to stop us from having a, a network of people like this space? And I'm looking, you know, the countries. I'm looking in, in Spain and Mallorca. So the countryside there at the island. But I think it's like, you know, definitely want to have friends over, you know, have guests over. It's like, you know, if you have friends, you know, we'll swap, you know, you come over to Spain and we'll go over to Japan. Like yeah. it's like that kind of, you know, you get three or four other artists that have a little, you know, do a little residency kind of thing. Yeah, a little traveling collective. That'd be fun. Yeah. Like swapping it out. That would Why be not? nice. Yeah. I'd like to go to Mallorca. I've never been. Oh, it's lovely, and it's a four. You know, people think it's 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 fancy pants. It has like an area that's touristy, but if you know the locals and you go in in inland, it's it's very affordable. It's Spain. It's cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's quality like, of life is very high. Like Japan, I'm sure. Like the food and everything is farm to table. You know, it's organic. It's just the way they do it. It's not even a thing. It's right. Just, yeah. It's everything. Well, everything's closer. You know what I mean? It's Correct. like here, everything's yeah. so far away that it's got to be shipped and stuff. But, exactly. But yeah, it's like that too. Like people go to Tokyo and they're like, oh my God, it's so expensive here. It's like, yeah, but you can do it cheap if you do the right, go to yeah. the right spots and, you know, and when you yep. get out of the city, it's definitely, you can find affordable stuff. So yeah, you just have to be resourceful. But yeah, I think that, that long-term change is, is probably in the cards at some point. It is. Unless it you is. just do that thing where you're on a treadmill and you just like you're so busy that you blink and you're like, wait a minute, I had a plan to get out of here in like ten years, and next thing you know, <laughs> that yeah, I mean, yeah, because I was thinking it's just like you know, up and for a while, you know, you entertain the upstate fantasy, but it's like you know, upstate is not far enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's it's gorgeous. I know people, a lot of people have great spaces up there, but. Yeah. Well, it's close for the city for those who have an absolute crushing fear of being uh, separated from culture. Right. Because, like, if you you can go, I mean, I don't. Have you driven across the country? It's been a while. Ooh, it's been eight or nine years, ten years since I've done that. Oh, it's been even long. It's been since college for me. Like, or yeah, yeah, just out of college of touring and stuff. But there are places in Middle America that are just you know really isolated. That would like scare the crap out of a city person, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Which right. I would feel that I think being <laughs> that far out, right? I mean, yeah. Like you want to be close to 
like I think in Spain, like my thing is like with Spain, you have Mallorca has culture, and then you have you know you're a short plane ride from Berlin, you know Austria, Barcelona, yeah, wherever London. If you if you really wanted to, I mean, interesting. Mean like for me, like consumption of culture has changed in the last couple of years. Like yeah, I, I get out to see stuff, but I mean I, you know, you, you get into your I don't know, you start to edit out, like, you know, it's like what I want to consume. And, you know, it's like there's still a lot of books I have to read. You know? I think that process, I'm not sure, but I think it's called getting old. <laughs> That's what's happening, though, huh? Yeah, it's happening. You ever hear, like, older people say, like, well, I don't I only got so many years left. I got to do this or do that or I want to focus. You start, like, curating a little bit more. When you're younger, yeah. your friends are like, hey, you want to go do this for like a week? And you're like, yeah, whatever. Let's and then burn it, that time, yeah. Yeah, as you get older, you're like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to pick and choose here. <laughs> and also, it's like, you know, if you've been around the block a couple of times, you start to see patterns and things. Yeah. You know, you start to see, you know, stuff that's, it's just saying art, like our, our game, our hustle. Like you see, like, okay, I see that. I see that. I see what's going on. I see what these kids are doing. Okay. How's that happening 20 years ago? Different packaging. Yep. I don't know. Sometimes every once in a while you're looking for something that's going to be like, oh. Um, that's I don't know. Since, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. I like I've been on the kick of artists. Oh, no. Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say my first dealer, I remember when he closed his gallery during that recession was it like 2000 whenever that first recession was oh was it 08 or before 08 yeah yeah that one i think i think i think it was that one it was that one before but it was i remember him saying like i i've seen this before i know how to get through these lulls but i just don't feel like having to go don't through like this again so it was again. like uh, being in the game that long you just you can t see the cycle like you know what's yeah. coming oh here's like this dip or this jump or this bubble and like it must, I guess, as you get to know it, it just becomes predictable or readable or something. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just. Uh, no, I forgot to forgot to say something, but um, it's about patterns. But it's also, I guess you you start to know what you don't like and what you like, or what you're interested in, what you're not interested in. And and it's sometimes it's not so much that like if you don't understand it, it's just like okay, I get what this is like like you know how you know how our tastes change, right? Like yeah. what we were into twenty years ago, you know. Now nah, yeah, it's like yeah, like that's why I want to talk to you about film because um, uh, like the films that I was into or or making or trying to make twenty years ago are are very different. Are my interests now are so kind of. You know, have changed. You know, yeah. I don't know if they've evolved or, and I'm seeing things now that 20 years ago they it was around, but I was ignoring it or it wasn't it wasn't in my purview, right? So, so I was so focused on one way of thinking or approaching image making, and there was just a whole other conversation that had been going on. So I think that I was I was aware of it, but it was one of those things like, ah, eh, it's, it's not not what i'm interested in right. and, it, and now i look at it i'm looking at it again reevaluating it something but 20 years later yeah and, and it's still there it's still actively being spoken about but it's almost like oh maybe i was just too much of a punk back then to get that it's just <laughs> <laughs> well we get into now what I, we get into right so right. like when you're younger i think about this with music a lot 
when you're younger, you identify with the music you listen to. Like in a way that defines something about you. It's like, oh, well, I'm into yeah. punk or I'm into reggae or like that's my thing. I think as you get older and you see like those cycles, you move through that stuff, you start to, instead of like finding an identity or an interest through something and it says something about you, you start to become interested in what that music meant to the people who made it. Right. You know what I mean? Like why? Right. So like there's right. a branch of cinema, like if it's like New Wave or something, they'd be like, okay, well, it's it's not just cool to like this. It's like, what were they coming out of? What was before right. this that made them make right. that choice? Because right. as you start to go through cycles of being creative yourself, you're constantly trying to find that next door to open through another, you know, source of inspiration or another reference that like, you know, right. inspires you to the next level in some way. Right. So I think it's a shift. I don't know when it happens. Maybe it's gradual. Maybe it's kind of like a light bulb moment. But yeah, I definitely, I've, I've been that way about music, I think, for sure. It, it's easier to see in music than art. In art, I think it's a slower burn and it slowly disperses, yeah. you know? Right. It's right. not like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, John Chamberlain, like, yeah, that, you know, or right. whatever. Right. You, you just kind right. of slowly seep through. But in music, it can just hit you. You hear something right. like, you know, like Vietnamese psych rock and you're like, whoa. Right. Right. <laughs> like it never tapped into right. this, you know. Right. Did you, do you find, I mean, because this music has been accessible for, for a long time, but um, since the late night, but like, did you find, I mean, I guess for, because yeah, music has been, you, you could find music online since what, since the mid nineties, but um you know, so we're not talking going back to the days where you had to. It was harder to find music. <clears throat> yeah. You know, like, um, but, but like, like film and art, even you know, twenty ten, I'm left twenty years ago. Like, you still had to go to festivals. You still had to go. Uh, like, there weren't all the platforms yet to see really obscure stuff. Like, you had to go to festivals, or you had to go to museums, or you had to go to the galleries yeah. to see. The stuff, the non-mainstream stuff, and right. now I don't know if that does that makes it. Does that make? I mean, it sounds like there's not too many choices, but it's a little because back in the day, like you said, you experience it. Say you watch some new new wave films or neorealism, and you got a couple of books, and you're reading. And you're like, okay, well, what what got here? But it took a lot. Of, it took a lot of effort, right, or scholarship to really get into, you know, chasing down the videos yep. or screenings and. Yeah, I think and now you could, you know. I, the identification of that process too meant something more as well, like I was talking about before. So like now with music, if you're interested all of a sudden in, you know, dub reggae or something, you just go on YouTube and you, you type it in or Google. Yeah. Whereas back right. in the day, like you would go to other music and there would be a recommended CD by someone you liked their selections of and it would be right. King Tubby and you'd be like, what's this? Right. And then you right. would talk to the guy there and he'd be like, well, this is really cool. So you identify right. with that. Or there's right. there's more of a social engagement with the process of finding it. Like crate digging means you go right. to the place, you talk to people. Right. There's that side of it. And now right. I don't know how it is with younger people. I think it just kind of like hits you. It's, but al it's algorithms? I mean, A little bit, I think. And then it's Discord or it's like, you know, what the conversation is online. 
the speed of it has changed. And I think the delivery method is filtered through the internet. So whether that's social media or YouTube or whatever, you that's the new other music or that's the new, you know, um, Whitney first floor exhibition space or whatever right. it is, like the cool place right. to, I don't, right. you know. So I, yeah. I think it's just morphed. It's the same thing, but the speed and the, the, the bandwidth of, of stuff that you can encounter is... I don't understand. I can't imagine going back in time to when I was just starting out in college and yeah. having all that stuff accessible. Because I would remember right. going to the library and checking out Art in American Art Forum right. or <laughs> Maximum Rock and Roll or, you know, yeah. or Thrasher Magazine, yeah. whatever it was right. to see what right. was cool, you know? Right, right. Now it's just... Yeah. Uh, I, I guess you're just it's, sifting more now instead of digging for gold. You're just sifting, sifting right. through it, you know? But also, like, the output has just exponentially grows every five years, right? Because technology, technology, that's always been a thing, but it becomes more and more accessible, right? Everybody's yeah. shooting. Everybody's making films. Everybody's making films. Like, what was it? Like, I think in the last year, there was, like, 22,000 submissions of feature films to Sundance. I know. I mean, so crazy. But that doesn't so mean... makeable. Just like music. Now so you makeable. can do it on your laptop. You used to have to right. have equipment. But just quality, but the thing is like everything, right? It's like, any, it's like everything, only, I don't know, I'm going to say a random number, like 18% of every, anything is interesting. So you have like this noise, like so there's more noise, there's more stuff, more amateurs, it's, you know, it's, and then, but then the good stuff, like it's still going to be, so you have to sift through more of this noise to get to stuff, right? But then again, at the end of the day, there's an audience for everything. Yeah. And I ideally, so th the interesting stuff bubbles to the top a little bit. It bubbles. I mean, within bubbles, like, you know, there's, there's, there, you know, there's material online that's getting, you know, half a billion, you know, eyeballs on it hits, you know, monthly that I'm not interested in. And I'm not, it's not my eyeballs, right? And my eyeballs are on, you know, like I always have this thing. It's like when you when you're digging online, it's like finding videos on YouTube that have the least amount of views that are yeah. super interesting. Yeah, you know, comes down to that. Um, but um, I remember when I, when I used to teach at UPenn. This is like more than ten years ago. Actually, it's right after the crash uh, for a year. And at the time, like I would, you know, the um, was insane clown posse was a. <laughs> Yeah. was the thing yeah. like i think they were kind of peaking culturally and the juggalos and we would have like you know discussions about them it's like you know the audience like that like look at that output look at that material and look at the audience you know like it had you know so and on and on and on and, and that's popular stuff but yeah um well and that probably has always happened too it's probably the same thing as like tom jones versus like john zorn you know, it's like, right, right. Then right. maybe not, well, not that Tom Jones is terrible, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, maybe that yeah. niche stuff is, you know, whereas once you had to go to some like tiny bar venue in the village and find, yeah. like, go down steps and find that live show. And there's Tony Conrad playing one note for an hour, you know, yeah. now it's like, you got to dig through the caverns of YouTube and find that one video or, you know, or look through uh, your, your Netflix to the deep documentary right. dive or uh, whatever it is. Right. You know. Right. Right. It changes a little bit, I guess. But how did you first start getting interested in film? Like when did it enter your life from a kid watching movies or? Yeah. Um, 
I was, uh, yeah, as a kid, I was definitely into movies, and I had a high, a high-8 camera and made a lot of, you know, kooky kid videos in the 80, in late 80s. And this is and, where? Uh, where did you go? This is in Miami, in Miami, Miami, Florida. Yeah. And so in high school, I went to a, what they call a magnet art high school in Miami. It's a public school, and it had focus in film and video production at the time. Yeah, so we were shooting video, like three-quarter video and VHS and Super 8. So the idea was um, I had this fantasy that I was going to go to film school. So I wanted to make movies. Like the, my, my hero at the time was uh, Spike Lee. Sure. And, uh, so like Do the Right Thing comes out my senior year, and Fear of the Black, Black Planet comes out, and that whole thing was going on, and... So that that's where the bug started, and but I was a you know I was a shitty student, and uh, so I didn't have the, the chops to get into NYU um, academically, um, or UCLA or USC or AFI, which were like the ones that you know all the kids were fantasizing about going right. to film school. Um, so I ended up going to community college, and that had a locally that had a, a minor film program that. But then I took a, um, I didn't know about art at that point, about fine art. And by, since there was very limited film, I started thinking, I took a photography class, but it was in a fine art department. And then I had these great professors that were fine artists. They were artists, not mainstream uh, photographers or anything like that. And they opened up the door of what, you know, avant-garde film and that. And then it's like, oh, so that kind of took this detour, like not going mainstream, going into like a film school. So I ended up going to art school. Yeah. But always thinking about movies. I mean, always still loving movies. And, uh, and still to this day, like, films still give me more, feed me more than great art. I mean, like, it's, you know, it's rare, like, you see, like, a great survey show. Oh, something like, like in the last few years, I'm more interested in seeing shows by artists that are senior, like, above 70, pushing 80. Or that just recently passed away. Like, that kind of output. I'm really, you know, like, those... Um, so like those kind of shows, you know, like, uh, like a Carrie James Marshall retrospective, like something like that, you're like, okay, boom, that, that, that gives me like that, I don't know, love and soul feeling that, that cinema always does. Right. Right. Um, Were you, uh, an equal opportunity advocate of, you know, cause like, I remember seeing do the right thing, you know, when it came out and. Yeah. Or shortly after, whenever, but but just being really moved by that. I mean, that was a heavy, yeah. heavy feeling yeah. at that time. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll never yeah. forget Radio Rahim, and uh, who is yeah. from Pittsburgh. He grew, he's from the same place I'm from. Is it really? Yeah, because wow. that was a big thing when we watched that movie. And um, but were you also like in say in one of these art classes with photography professor? Were they showing you like VHS recordings of like Stan Brakhage or something? Or was there also yeah, the they were, it, it was that kind. Yeah, yeah, it was that kind of thing where. They were bringing in like the three quarter inch U-matic tapes and playing like, um, yeah, like a lot of that 70s U-matic video stuff, like the um, uh, stuff, you know, like those Bruce Nauman videos of him walking, you know, around, like all of that. There was that kind of stuff going on. And then looking at traditional photography, because there was, you know, so that was, I was exposed to that early. And at first you're like, what the fuck is this? Um, and it was always that. Because growing up as a, you know, a popular, you know, pop, because my parents were immigrants from Cuba, are, 
And so English was a second language in the house. So, and we lived in a, in an enclave that was very Latino, very Hispanic, Caribbean. So, you know, I lived in a part of Miami in my high school, like white kids were a minority. And um, so true American culture came through TV and, you know, everything else around and, you know, that kind of, early, you know, in the early part of it. So American pop culture had a huge influence, like, you know, you know, movies, you know, growing up, you know, I remember seeing in high school, you know, like a lot of Scorsese movies, like that kind of stuff, like really would, uh, Kubrick, like those kind of movies when you're like a 16, 17 year old male, like makes a, makes a big impression on you. But, um, so mainstream, that mainstream sensibility was always there. And then you get to art school, you find out there's this other, other, this other way of approaching you know, stories or image making, and it's completely opposed to, so it was just like this kind of like, wait a second, you know, what's going on here? And, um, it, it, um, but at the same time, there was, I was aware because my family would, in the community, there was a lot of, uh, like you could, you would see Cuban films, you would see films that were floating around that were, films that were being made by communist countries or what they called third cinema, like in Latin America. So these are movies that are quote, clearly non-mainstream, super political or documentaries, um, you know, Czech films, Polish films, like those were floating around and being, and those are completely opposite of mainstream cinema. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they were like, they were like capitalist cinema. And so there was some of that. So it was like a long, so, you know, you get to art school. It was always for me, my work was like this sensibility of, you know, you have the popular, the mainstream way of of approaching images and and messages versus the other way. Yeah, whatever that, that is. That I I wonder if like what that how much that propelled you towards like the quote unquote fine art realm too. When you you know when you see Scorsese or you see like Clockwork Orange and you're like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> like, yeah, this is cool and like a really weird movie. And then you get to school and you see like Unshen Danalu or something. Like you see yeah. Bunuel show and you're like, what the right. hell? Like, or you right. see a racer head and you're like, wait a minute, right. weirder. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of times it becomes even stranger the less it's tied to narrative, the less it's tied to, you know, your formulaic like two hour movie or whatever. Right. It just turns right. into, you know, like a Vito Acconci thing or you know, like right. a Hellman movie. Right. It's like, or something that's like, you know, eight hours long and you're like, what the hell's going right. on? You know, it, it kind of like really lights the fire of like, wow, there's territory here to, to mess around in that that's not so bordered. It's a little fuzzy. Right. I think you hit upon a very important point. Like the gateway, at least for me, was a gateway. It was, I guess, surrealism was like a, an accessible gateway when you're in that high school, that adolescent age and kind of 18, 19 discovering you're in art school, you're about to go to art school. You're kind of the weirdness, right? The quote. And then, so David Lynch, big one, right? Yeah. Um, especially at so that much. time. And that, and that was like in the nineties, uh, late eighties. And he was a guy, you know, he was, cause at that point, you know, Spike Lee, you know, had his agenda and it was about, you know, social justice and those stories and score, you know, so stylistically, but then you get into Lynch and then you get into, right, the surrealist and you find about Buñuel 
and all of that, and then you're like, whoa, and then you got Feline, and then that starts to, and it, you know, and I think as a as a as an adolescent or as a someone in their early twenties, you want to gravitate toward the more, you know, if you're that kind of kid, you know, like the the music you want to listen to, the movies you you know you want to see the stuff that no one else is looking at, or the weirder stuff. Yeah, and that starts to shift away, and then you end up in yeah Vito Acconci, you know, yeah. sitting in the bottom of a basin with like a, a blindfold and a and a stick, you know, and then it becomes this whole thing about you know, or I don't know when you were in art school, like you know, when the Warhol movies would screen, you know, like who would claim that they actually sat there to watch all of Empire, or oh yeah, you know, wait for that moment when the bird flies by, or right. or in sleep. And it became like this endurance thing or like this badge of honor, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you're into this inside joke, you know, or, or watching this, all these really difficult movies. Um, but I was always interested in um, where, because, you know, so not going to traditional film school, I did I did take film at the Art Institute of Chicago, and that was like strictly avant-garde, handmade, scratch movies, you know, in the brackage, you know, kind of tradition. Yeah. So completely anti-narrative and all formal. And so naturally, a lot of the kids there, you know, wanted to push up against that. So they were always trying to push toward narrative, you know. And she would say, well, what the fuck are you doing here? Go to USC. Go to NYU. Fuck <laughs> this off. This is not the place for you, right? <laughs> this is not the place for you. You know, you're going to fail. And um, and so, you know, but it was just something there to push up against. And then these other weird things started to happen. And, um, uh, but it's interesting to see where cinema and art cinema or art house, I mean, we're talking about art house cinema now. Yeah. Um, and how film is always generally inherently narrative because it's a, right, it's a sequence of images and it, you know, no matter if it's eight hours long or, and for a long time, you know, it was rare to see, I think, for, I don't know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, film installations. Um, they were happening, right? You had, uh, what, um, uh, what's his name? Douglas. Oh, what's his first name? Not Stan, Stan Douglas, Stan right? Douglas, Stan yeah. Douglas. Um, and, um, oh, God, what's his name? He's a really great artist. Um, he did the 24-hour movie where it was playing at Mary yeah, Goodman. Markley. Christian Markley. I love yeah. Christian Markley. Um, and so technology was getting to that point and that kind of film was starting to happen, right? So films that exist outside of theaters or film festival circuits. Yeah. But then this whole thing starts, uh, like what's called, you know, like slow cinema, right? There's movies that are, starts like in the seventies and eighties and there's fewer, there were few of them being made back then, but these movies like Chantel Ackerman or, you know, movies that have very long takes movies that are Bellatar movies that last eight hours, seven hours and a shot will last nine minutes. And it's different, right? When you're in a, you walk into a gallery and you can deal with the film for as long as you want and you can come back, you can go, right. we can sit on the bean bag, go get coffee, come back or hang out for eight hours in the gallery if you wanted to, as opposed to the film being seen at a festival or a movie theater, right? You're kind of, you're set into that slot. Yeah. Or at home, right? If you have if you're streaming it, you could come back to it as many times as you want. But um, what I'm trying to get at is that one of the things for me that kind of the rubber meets the road, and it was something that 
I realized 20 years ago I was dealing with it, but I didn't really have it fully flushed out or realized what was going on and looking back on it now and looking, here's the thing, because I was looking at it all through the eyes of art or right. fine art yeah. context and kind of turned my back, not back, but was looking so much at what was going on in cinema and how cinema was addressing the same thing because I was focused more on gallery, museum-based film and video. Yeah. But what was going on in film or it was very interesting. It's uh, so you know you know Paul Schrader, the the guy. He's Paul Schrader. Uh, he wrote um, Taxi Driver, Last Temptation of Christ. You know he collaborated a lot with um, uh, with Scorsese, and then he became a filmmaker himself. He's a great filmmaker. He did the one about um, the Japanese writer. Min- yes, Minami um, or not Minami. Oh, uh, what's his name? Um, that was wacky. That was. That that writer, his life is like he had he had like his own like paramilitary group, and he like yeah committed to what was his name? Um, what's the T right? T. I can't think of it. We'll like yeah. edit this yeah. in post production. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but he made yeah. So he he's made a lot of interesting films, and but he was a um, before coming to Hollywood. May I mean how big um, how mainstream can you go when you do Taxi Driver? Uh, which was at the time outside of like the mainstream Hollywood, but you know, the you know, um, was it the, the recent one, the Joker? What was it called the Joker? Oh, no, yeah. the one with um, is it called the Joker? Yeah, that was it called with um, with um, River, uh, not River Phoenix, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Yeah, which was basically a taxi driver rehash. Right. Yeah. But um, but Schrader was a a film critic when he was in LA and he grew up in this strict Calvinist religious family in Michigan, I want to say, and he wasn't even allowed to see movies. He was out to LA and he, and he was, um, he became like a pretty well-known in his early twenties, uh, film critic. And he wrote this book somewhere in the early seventies before he writes taxi driver, um, which was called transcendental film style. And, Transcendental film style, and he, you know, defines it. You know, he's looking at it through, through three filmmakers, like a Japanese filmmaker, Ozu, Robert Bresson, and uh, Dreyer, which is a Danish filmmaker. But aside from that, what the interesting thing is, it's like, and he writes about this, but and he would never do any of this, but this kind of filmmaking. But the the way he he distills it, and it was I find, you know, it's like that gets kind of like what it's about is that there's two kinds of, of film. And I guess you could say this about art too. There's the kind of film that leans in to the audience and grabs you by the throat and won't let you go. So the epitome of that would be Hitchcock, right? Like oh, yeah. the, the Hollywood seen. movie, yeah, where the story grabs you and you're just like, the cliffhanger, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you're kind of being guided through this ride right, for the whole movie, you know, and it, it could be as extreme as, like, you know, an action movie, or it could be a, you know, a thriller, but pretty much all mainstream film works that way, and, and by, let's just say, like, all film is manipulative, right, any form of film is going to manipulate the audience to feel or, or do something, but some are more extreme than others, so transcendental style of film, the way he defines it, is, a, is like a film that leans back from the audience. So it's like the kind of film maybe you experience in a museum or a gallery where 
it's not trying to you know get your attention. It, it's it's leaning back enough where you have to the audience has to, has to do some work yeah. to put the film together, right? So, um, and that's where you know. And what's interesting is like how far can you even as an artist, right? How far can you lean back from your audience that you that you lose them completely? or your audience gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because storytelling, to grab people by the lapels and be like, let me tell you the story of what happened, it's like this great joke with a great punchline, that's like a natural thing ingrained in, in human culture, right? And, and, and it goes back to, you know, what it really goes back to is to 1001 Arabian Nights, right? Like the, what's her name? Sher uh, uh, Azed, which is the, the woman who is telling the story that keeps telling the story to the king to keep him from killing, you know, from, so she has to constantly, keep, so this, this archetype was like, you know, thousands of years ago was started, that that's like human storytelling on the camp where you want to keep, be a good storyteller. Um, and that's the function of that kind of storytelling. But, but more and more, like I find that, um, and I used to, you know, I grew up on that kind of film and I love that kind of film, um, that kind of storytelling, but so, so you have the extreme in the art gallery where you have a, a 24 hour movie playing and then you have um, films that are an hour or two hours long that you could watch that. Um, so here's another thing, I just go another tangent. Like I've got, I've reevaluated like Iranian films. Like I hadn't, I had seen Iranian films like 20 years ago. Like, are you familiar like with that, like Abbas Kurastami's no, uh, movies? You know, I don't know much about Iranian cinema at all, to be honest. Okay. Um, so I didn't, I mean, I, I knew cursory, like what had happened. Cause there's this one, the main guy is named Abbas Kurastami. He died like three or four years ago. And he made some really important, like pretty cool movies like in the late 80s and through the 90s and into the 2000s, like to like five years ago. And, uh, and, like, and I had seen them when, here's the thing about going back in, you know, in early 2000s and, to, you know, I had seen his movies because they were coming out and they were like, you know, Art Forum would talk about them and review them and you could see them and check them out. And they were very interesting, but I kind of was not fully appreciating what was going on. So then I've gone back and, you know, got my hands on everything I could find of his and have we watched it and looking at it through this lens of transcendental filmmaking. And it's just like, it's fascinating how poetic it, it's, it's about, it's closer. He was a filmmaker. He was also making photography. He used to show at Andrew Rosen of all places. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Yeah. Cause he had a career as a photographer and some installation work. So he did about three shows at Rosen, yeah, until she closed, of course. But she actually yeah, looked at on the roster, and um, so he was kind of moving that in the art gallery direction. But he was making movie movies um, that were winning cons and you know all the big film festivals and that kind of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's this simplicity, this poetry that I was kind of overlooking because um, I was into this other more bombastic, visceral, grab you visually by the throat and bring you in and kind of, you know, smack you around and then, you know, kind of, but, and I was into that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was, I was watching, trying to look for that kind of stuff. And now it's just this meditative, um, so they call slow cinema. Like, you know, maybe it's a, it's a thing about getting older, I guess. And like, uh, now I can actually, you know, 
because you can't meditate in a hurry, right? You have right. to slow down. Yeah, definitely. So these movies are, are slower, the pacing. You know, a, a shot will take five minutes, and um, instead of cutting back, you know, you, you let things play out. And Like Japanese cinema is, uh, like, one of the bigger cultural producers of that kind, that kind of cinema. Right. I mean, not, not all of them. I mean, they they yeah. also have yeah. their... But, um, so that's the kind of stuff I've been. I think, yeah, I think maybe some of that into. does come with age. You know what I mean? Of that slowing. Down. It's if you think like again to bring a music as a right as a, a parallel. Like if I ever listen to like a band, not like where actually people, are, four people or five people are playing instruments, which I feel like is rarer and rarer these days. <laughs> and there's sonic elements of something like indie rock or punk or something like that. My ear twitches. I'm like, oh, that, that yeah. I remember that, you know. Yeah. But if I listen to, you know, old aggro, you know, stuff that's really aggressive and lyrically is like, and it's fast and it's short, I, I feel yeah. like I need something that, that draws that out a little bit. You know what I mean? That, uh, it's not uh-huh. quite that again, but maybe taps into it a little bit. And, and you're saying, like, if you if, if you hear like a vintage recording of something that you were into twenty, thirty years ago, that was like that. You're saying that now, when you see it, when you hear it again, it's not as satisfying. Well, no, I mean, I get it. It's just it. Yeah. I think I've heard people try to redo that aesthetic, yeah. like one to one, and I'm just yep. not. I, I feel like you're I've, like we've digested yeah. that. It needs to stretch. It needs to change. And I think maybe that's yep. partially just me. You know, because right. sometimes I'll hear new bands. Like, there's this surf rock band that I heard recently that's very popular probably because of social media. And I was like, Oh yeah, this sounds like, I, it sounds just like that stuff that, you know, came out back then. You know what I mean? So I'm like, where, how is this different at all? And it is right. a little different and, uh, and I appreciate sure. that, but you, you kind of like move it against what you've experienced before in a way, you know, that's like, you know, I'm trying to think of it like, you know, when we were young punk whippersnappers doing what we were doing, like, older artists must have been looking at us. I wonder, like, ah, they're doing that again. Or Totally, you know. yeah. Yeah, I think like, so. <laughs> but then, But then it's funny because I remember being in college and seeing films that my art professor would show that, like, blew my mind. That I was just like, what yeah. is going on here? Like, I remember seeing Weekend way before uh, I should have wow. known what Weekend was or before I had any mental ability to like categorize this into what it was and just being like what did i just watch right yeah and then when i first started teaching you know like 10 years ago 11 years ago or something like that yeah i remember in one class i showed weekend and then i showed uh koyana scotsy and i felt like part of me felt like this is good because they were all just like what is what are we doing right now (laughs) but that's good it's good, but at the same time, like feeling guilty of like, well, maybe this isn't the right time, or the maybe this is too much for uh, for the YouTube generation of just uh, like sitting through. I mean, Quay Anascotsi is it's oh, one of my dude, favorite yeah. movies of all time, but it yeah, is mu- but, a little much for someone who's yeah. uninitiated. And if that's you're right, not a Philip right. Glass fan, I mean, that could irritate you it could too. Be tough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that it's it's funny. I think it's probably really interesting and good to experience um, things, creative achievements or sources of inspiration at the wrong time, like to where it doesn't just line up because it really throws your brain for 
a, a curveball loop that you have to negotiate in some way. Like it might not make sense at that moment, but then hopefully down the line it starts to like line up. Or when you see, it's almost like uh, like Inception or something. Like when you see something like <laughs> five or ten years from now, there's a trigger yeah. because you saw it in the past and you're like, oh, okay, right. now I can That's dive right. into this. That's right. So you know how you were saying like with, with films, there was just certain areas that you wouldn't get into. Like I remember right. listening to some indie rock that was influenced by some other some more like, you know, global music inspiration. And then later on, hearing that stuff and then getting into it or like right. there's certain like fusion jazz. Like I was a jazz DJ right. in college and if someone played return to forever for me or chick Corea or something, I was like, this is garbage. Like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> this is awful, you know? And then like going through and seeing how people took that and moved it in electronic music and all that stuff. Then come like, you know, 15 years later and I listen to it. And I'm like, Oh, I, I see where people are annoyed by the eighties sounds in this. Right. But then, right. but then you get past that, and you could see where this took the ball a little further. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's it's funny. It's like an entry point. There's got to be certain entry points. Like there I, has to be an entry point. I entered into vaporwave after, like when kids were into it, who were a lot younger, and I was like, this sounds like elevator music from like when I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know. But then I kind of right. understand it. Like you, it takes you a little time. But it's really, I think, good as a creative person to enter into things at the wrong time sometimes just to, yeah to it keeps you honest i think and and to be those like the gatekeepers like like when you have that opportunity to introduce people to stuff that like when like 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 going back to what you said that feeling of when you get handed something when we were younger that you're like what that just rocks your world yeah and you're just like thinking about it and thinking about it and it just won't and you don't know why it's just haunting you you keep going back to it and just, um, and sometimes you hate it. Like I remember a lot of times going back to think that you just really disliked and like, why? And, and then, but that reaction as opposed to something that was so easily consumable and disposable, like empty calories, right? It's that right. stuff that's like hard to swallow sometimes. But like, and then it just, you're just like, ah, and you go back and you're like, oh, get it yeah yeah and it's funny like those a lot of times those things that have that impact on you aren't your choice when you're younger you know like i remember seeing like sneaking from the front porch but watching caddyshack when i was really young and i was like what like i missed a lot of it but sure it was it really had an impact and then they showed that made for tv movie i don't know if you remember this was called the day after and oh, I remember that. It yeah, freaked me out, man. I that was mean, terrifying. Freaked I cried. Me out. Yeah, my brother. Was yeah, I don't like want to go to school. Yeah. yeah, we were freaked out. That was rough. That's why I decided to show my son Scarface at age four. I feel like let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, not at all. Actually, I've kind of. you know, I saw. Could you know, I saw. I saw Scarface when I was in fourth grade. No, Dude, that you didn't. Totally. No one would, would let it, that happen. <laughs> You want to bet in Miami? Oh my Dude, God! Really? You were it, was oh it was crazy. It was crazy because I don't know why. What year that movie came out? Early. Whenever it came out, I was in fourth grade, and it became a thing in Miami because it like well, it, the they were like, "It's our Godfather! Finally, we're <laughs> we're making a movie about it. Pacino is gonna <laughs> is gonna do us right." 
right? <laughs> there was no previews. There was no, no one's reading a, they don't know. They don't know what fucking Dry in the Palm is. Right, so, right. so, so it's like, so they, everyone went out and drove, like the whole family. It was like a cultural, like, we're all going to go see this. And, you know, never mind, it's an R movie. Thought, you know, the whole family's sitting there and I'm sitting there and there's like the, you know, the chainsaw scene. And it's like the whole fucking thing. <laughs> And, and and mind you, we were living in Little Havana at the time in Miami where that was kind of happening. Like people were getting shot. There were drug deals going on. Yeah. And it was kind of like, but I remember coming out of it being more, it's like, oh my God, it's really that bad. Like it, I was just, yeah, I should have never seen that movie. It just totally scarred me. I mean, it, it, for years later, it ended up in my work. It was haunting me for years. Yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, that's, so yeah. That's tough. That's an early that's age. That's fucking brutal, man. Yeah. I, um, think I, that, I think I was way too young when I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know where Ooh, I, I saw, saw that it. one later, but yeah, it wasn't fourth grade, but it was way too early. And that like, you know, freaked me out. And I think it's funny because when my son was young, I never let him watch anything that was too, you know, yeah. too it's scary or whatever. And I yeah. think, and now he's in film school, like he's in a right. high school film program. So I think it's right. that thing where if you don't expose anyone, if you try to protect them from it, when they finally see it, you know, like you hide a skateboard from the kid no chance. Never. You don't even, they ask friends about it. You're like, I don't know what that is. Next thing you know, they're a pro skateboarder. <laughs> Dude, so I'm curious. So your son and his generation, like what kind of movies are they into or what, what are they? Everything. Looking at. You name it. The old, the old well, stuff, new stuff, whatever. Well, here's the thing. So that idea of us seeing, you know, whatever movie, you know, Halloween way too early and then having nightmares yep. forever. So, yep. We there were ways we just would go over to someone's house and they had a VHS tape of it or whatever. Yep. Well, now they have the internet, for, so forget it. It's all yeah. there. Like you can't. Right. And that's how they go to school now. That's how they communicate right. with their friends. So you, you can't. What are you going to do? You know. But like in terms of taste, like are they into like horror movies? Are they into like right now? Like what's he into? Like is it scaring? You know, getting, making scary sci-fi. Oh, it's weird. every it's everything from everything? Marvel universe yeah. to Squid Game yeah. to um, yeah, yeah, yeah. goofy stuff. You know, like funny yeah. online like videos. And that's the thing. Now there's less of a separation of like quote unquote cinema. That's because right. if you think about it, let's just take the Marvel universe as a as one sort of like you know, right. capsule collection of film, you know, you have your big blockbusters, then you have these spin-offs right. that are a little right. more arty. You'll have like animation versions that are right. actually really well done. And then you've got TV shows that are spin-offs and web series. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not so linear or compartmentalized. Well, well that's the thing. Yeah. Like the, the, the feature film is pretty much almost done. It really like, is in terms of of a format. I mean, it's it's still it's still a form that people will do, and you still kind of make one, and you do, and you go into festivals. But I would imagine, yeah, the kids are just you know web series. That's the way to go, and it's like you know, it's yeah. going to be sustainable if they're trying to go into a commercial something that's commercially viable. Yeah, yeah. like I don't. No, it's that, all about it's, the series. It's gone in the sense it, what it meant to us. Just the same as like late night television. That's used right. to mean like, hey, you got to stay up till eleven thirty or like twelve thirty to watch Conan. Right. It's a that's over, you know. In yeah. newspapers, you know, you used right. to wait till it came to your door. Yeah. You can still read the Times or whatever sure. online, but you could wait if you want. Yeah. yeah, it's different. It's just online now, you know, or it's it's a different vehicle of uh, delivery, really. So yeah, yeah, I don't know how it's going to manifest itself in the creative output of yeah. future generations. I think it's going to be interesting in the way that it 
navigates through medium. You know what I mean? I don't think right. the hierarchical systems that for so long were you know right. ingrained in institutions. Right. I think that gets thrown upside well, down. Go totally. And you can like have I, a lot of I, disgruntled old faculty. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I guess the feature film will hang around like the novel has, or yeah. you know, it'll just be another form. But it's not. It's not at the top of the. Uh, the heap anymore it's just you know um i mean it, it, yeah like i find myself now for a while you know binging a lot on series and looking forward to series work you know shows but then i after a while it's like you know if i really i look i i, I look at the material like man there's like six seasons of this do i really want to put in 250 hours to get scholarship on this thing <laughs> right you know, and then I'm looking for like, well, this thing's looking at 66, 90 minutes long. This thing is an hour and 30. You know, I'll, I'll jump in there and maybe, you know, go for a nice little ride and see how, you know, because, you, you know, there are things you can do in 250 hours of TV that you can't do in 90 minutes, right? It's, yeah. like, it's like a haiku versus a, an epic poem. And I, I'm, I'm into the, I'm getting into the... Uh, but then, you know, what else have I been thinking about? I don't know. It's like the new slow cinema in a way, right? <laughs> I, I'll tell you again? one thing. It's like the new slow cinema, cinema in a way. It's, you yeah. know, it's like a, right. it's, it's immediate and yeah. you can watch it all at once if you want, but it's going to take you a while. I watched right. the, uh, the Beatles documentary that Peter Jackson did. And I oh yeah. Did you do the whole thing? It. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be in the room and there were so many misconceptions yeah. I had about their breakup period and like what was going on. It was completely uh, like not true. And it was so cool to, to watch that. I have it. I have, yeah, I've had a couple of my wife's been watching it and, and she was telling me like, Oh, it's so obvious that Yoko was just such a pain in the ass. And she's just like physically, I don't even see it. And then a friend of mine who's a, a betaphile saw it and he was just like, eh, I wouldn't recommend it. But you know, you like didn't say a word. Dailies, I think right? she said like four words the whole time. She didn't cause the, the breakup at all. It had nothing to do with that. But she was, but, but she was present all the time. Like like they were like they were like a unit, right? Like so was Linda though. He, Linda was always around too. Yeah, she was there, but she didn't bug anyone. You had the feeling right. like in my mind the way they play it out is Yoko was this like annoying person who was like always making decisions or like trying to get John to do this or that. She was just there hanging yeah. out. You know what right. I mean, and and it was right. really about John's addiction, and it was about George wanting to do his own thing, and you know, getting right. flustered about that relationship. And plus, they were probably burnt out at that point. I mean, they, sure. you know, anyone yeah. who's been in a band, if you've been in a band that long, like usually <laughs> you're in a band for a few years or something, and you're like, this is right. getting, you know, cumbersome at times. But they, I mean, they were together for a long time, so right. But it was right. it was to for me, it was really about you know, seeing the cook in the kitchen, you know, like it'd be like being in someone's studio, like yeah. Picasso's studio for, for 10 years and seeing like, right. I mean, that's not, right. Right, but it would be amazing just yeah. to see that process, you know, right. There's a lot of misconceptions that people have that, you know, whenever you're just there flying the wall, that's, it's kind of cool to see. I haven't read up on it, but it's just, they took all the raw footage and just, put it together chronologically like it's pretty much like someone reported it, like it's watching dailies from the uh, original movie they did yeah they did this original documentary that was you know cut down and yeah. all these hours of footage so the way that peter jackson framed it was you know just trying to take a, a pretty straightforward look at it and moving day day by day leading up to the show that they did on the roof right. which was their last performance so it was kind of just right. 
chronicling yeah. the writing of the music, but it's so cool to watch them make those songs yeah. to like right. see them because we know them. We know them word by word, like note by note. And you're like, oh, they're you're happening. almost there. You keep tweaking they're it, you know. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But And they're hilarious. They weren't really fighting much at all. They were just joking around all the time. And, right. You know, just as charismatic as when they were, you know, young, you know, Liverpoolians coming over to the U.S. for the first time. So it was, yeah. it was pretty good. But yeah, that long... You know, that's, I don't really watch that much anymore. Did you watch it over a period, like over a week, or did you sit down and kind of do the whole... I I just did it over the the course, because I had just shipped out a bunch of work, so I had a moment to breathe. Yeah. And I just was at home with the family, and I was watching it, you know, pretty successively. I think over three or four days, I I did all of it. Right. But it's nice, because you when you're going into a linear sort of time like that of they're moving through like a course of like three weeks, you, you want to catch up with it, you know? And I think we're getting that way where we want to be scheduled. Like you don't want to wait too long in between seeing, you know, time progress right. in a narrative. <laughs> right. Cause you right. Want to disconnect from it. And plus you get really right. interested. So, right. Right. But yeah, yeah, those, that kind of, um, you know, longer thing. I'm usually not, but just because you get busy, you know what I mean? And, you get busy. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who make visual work, sometimes watching stuff is tricky because like when I have free time, I'm usually at the studio working. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Is that when you ever have free time, you got to be making, you got to be working. Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. It's like, as you get older, like you feel like, like when you were younger, you felt like you had to, you had to know what was going on. Like, remember like, I remember like what, 20 some odd years ago, right on the cusp when, you know, the internet was about to give you everything you needed, but <laughs> magazines were still at play. Yeah. Remember having like, just like, just dozens of fucking magazines in the studio and just buying up every magazine you can imagine, which, you know, haven't, like, they don't exist anymore. Just know, try right? to consume and remember those days? Yeah, of course. And that was visual um, fodder because you didn't have yeah. Google there to just, you know tickle yeah. every fancy so you wanted you know yeah thinking back to those times it was interesting because it was it did feel very limited in a way like you were at yeah. the mercy of those magazines what they thought were you know yeah i remember when i All first the- moved to the city i would go to the image library yes yeah and uh, oh, right. uh you know great. up on brian park and i would take yes. uh, the pictures and photocopy yes. them <laughs> i did too yeah remember that and sometimes you could check them out and take them home yeah. and scan them if you were like that crazy yeah, remember that? That was yeah, Google. That was, all, that was Google. It was curated, yeah. Like going into the stack of the books. Oh, dude. Um, and then, of course, then like feeling like you had to go into the city and see every show, yeah. everything that was going on. And it was never, and it was something, it was something intoxicating about that, you know, thinking, oh, I'm not going to see it all, but I kind of see it. And um, And now, like, I don't, I mean, I guess it's easier. You could do it online, but, you know, like, but, um, like you have your taste, right? You go into your things like, okay, I'm into this now. I'm going to focus on this. And um, I don't need to, you know, have 39 magazines or. Right. But I mean, it's, it's all the same. I mean, it's still the same, right? There's still photo editors. There's still uh, filters. It's just the filters, right? That we set for ourselves. Definitely. And I think this might be a, a gross misstatement, but I think as artists get older, their radius of inspiration grows wider than 
fine art or, you know, or the things right around what they're doing. You tend to be like, oh, yeah, those shows and that was a cool show or whatever. But when you're younger, you're like, I have to see every painting, every sculpture, every installation show. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, well, that, you know, that fashion show or that, um, you know, concert or whatever, that film. Like there's other things that kind of get you motivated or that you look to. So. Uh, maybe that's just a natural progression, you know, broadening the scope at some point. Yeah, that's something that that maybe, uh, yeah, was kind of maybe lost on me. And when you look back at the older artists that are picked before, the, or the, the ones that have passed away recently, or um, and where the, it's a work that resonates with me more and more, writers, filmmakers, yeah, who are looking at life, at world, like it, outside of that art reference, you yeah. know, the, not so much of the self-referential, but going for very basic, honest uh, truth or poetry, like less is more like a simplicity yeah. in uh, very basic things that we might overlook. Um, uh, I find that more, like I feel like that work Maybe I don't know. The age is better, or it just has a more of a universality. Or um, I keep going. I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna loop back into the Iranian films because I've been really into that recently. But you know, so these are films that are very local, right? They're about very, you know, they're, they're about these. Um, you know, it'll be about this uh, a story in a in a a town. Out like 200 miles outside of Tehran, so it's it's, it's super pretty. Like you know, it looks like it's Tatooine. Like it's it's super. It looks like it's another planet. And these people, you know, these movies are shot like you know in the 90s, but it looks like it could be like you know in the 1800s. Yeah. And and it's a simple story about like a kid who at who at school his friend leaves his notebook. And the kid's going to get in trouble if he doesn't do his homework. Or this kid goes on his mission to get the, it's called Where's a Friend's House, um, to get the notebook back to his friend so he doesn't get expelled and in trouble. And these are like fourth, fifth graders. Um, and the whole thing, you know, these places that have barely running water, electricity in the whole movie. Um, but it's such a very localized, you would say, oh, it's a very localized thing. It's all in, in Farsig. And, and, but it's, but the story and the sentiment and the poetry of it is so universal. Like it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, it's, um, it goes, and sometimes I feel that with West, like the work that I want to say Western art, but the work that in the last 20 years that have kind of put gas in our tank being at, let's say you know, this is very specific, but being New York based artists or yeah. you know, American artists, um, get caught up in, in style and in, I don't know, uh, very particular things of the moment, which are also important, right? Because art is always, you look back at art from the 80s, and you're know, like, okay, what was going on at that time? And some stuff doesn't age well, and some stuff somehow ages better than others. And I've, so I've been into that, like just, and I, have, I don't have any specifics, but looking back at work, that's past and see like what's aging well, and what isn't even within our own work. And it's like, what's, what holds up and what just sucks now? And you're like, Oh God, what was I <laughs> right. doing then? Right. And it's just like, and, you know, and beyond the politics of it, you know, cause like, it, now you get into like, you know, reassessing work as looking at it through a lens of, of the political and how the world has changed. That's a whole, that's a whole nother 
another bag, but right. but even just um, the message or the, is there any poetry? Like, where's the poetry? Um, well, how do work? You, how do you feel? I mean, let's to bring it in a more personal direction. Like, how do you feel about that early work that you've done, and how do you feel that's different? from what you're trying to create now. Damn. Right, right on the hour, man. You just... Oh, was um, it? Did I... Is that's that awesome. I no, that's awesome. I, I wasn't that's even awesome. paying attention. No, that's awesome. Um, the, I had the older work, the younger me was very caught up, very interested in, in, in style, aesthetics, um, the way things looked, to try to bring in people, to pull, like to repulse them, to, to pull them in and try to repulse them and push them away, like this push. Um, it was interested in very specific cultural things that perhaps have not aged well or are no longer interesting. Some of them maybe got caught into more universal things. Some of them are just so specific that they don't, you know, it's like, uh, I don't even know what the example is, but, you know, uh, if it was technology-based or, or based on cultural trends that, you know, have changed age or age out um that would be one of the differences so now i'm thinking more about uh well trying to make work that's a little more um uh, trying to think the words are escaping me now because this is all happening um you thinking timeless like less because it sounds like some of those things in the earlier work are signifiers. You know, yeah. I had the same thing. Like, I was worried about style, right. and I was thinking about, you know, I'll give you an example. I did this painting of a um, a pedestrian walkway in Tokyo, or, yeah, in Tokyo, and there was a billboard for Nokia, and there was a little flip uh, phone. And uh, I think, uh, oh, well, that didn't age well. And then, But then I think, oh, it's actually kind of cool yeah. because it's a time capsule of that time. Yeah. You, know? you can tell right yeah. away, like, oh, that's from that era when that's right. what phones were like. Yes. And yeah. I know there have been people who've said like, oh, I never want to put anything in my work that you can identify it from a time. But if you think about art's role is it really is in dialogue with its time. That's like, you Correct. know, the Baudelarian thought of, you know, an artist right. must be, even if it's unconscious, tied into their time and making something that resonates with the consciousness of, of a moment. Otherwise, you're mining, you're just you know, doing vintage mining or, you know, prognosticating right. about what's going to be cool or whatever. Right. So, right. But are you talking about emptying that out? Or are you talking about a little less specific in the scope of those references, whether it's cultural uh, or, you know, your own personal yeah. narrative within it? Um, well, the two you bring up that some people say they, they try very hard to, I don't know, vacate that from their work. I mean, you and I are, are image-based artists, right? We we work with the representational or with, you know, some form of narrative or some form of of uh, subtext, right, that's initiated by the signifier that we work with. And, like, you know, when you mention those people, things like unless you're doing that abstraction, right, or you're going for a complete, you know, uh, like how do you, you know, you know, so, yeah, so for me, I think it's... um continue to be I mean I still have to work from the local I mean I have to you know you work from what you know and I like to um, I get going back to this idea of wanting a uh, storytelling um, uh, going back to stories that 
meant something to me. They might have some biography, but that maybe I always try to tap into things that were happening before I knew about art. Um, or as you say, as artists get older, they look at things outside of their, what do we call it? Our, our discipline, like the art world, I mean, not the art world, but you know, just art history and, and then looking at just living, right? Being like the, the things are a little bit more, um, maybe black universal oceanic um, things that um, I think have some profundity to them that that have some kind of um, I'm just trying to be more aware of here's here's the here's the thing I think here's the word I'm trying to say my work if I was to look at the work back 20 years ago I'd say the work had had an agenda there was an agenda, and sometimes the agenda was pretty loud, and sometimes form and style and the agenda would, would, you know, sometimes one would trump the other, and I think the ones that had the agenda more in, your, in the foreground, more in your face, that it kind of, and part of the work was to deal with, like, you know, the, the, the language of advertising and and sloganism and, and, and that kind of thing. But sometimes they would cross, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't interest me anymore as much. The, the, the driven agenda politically, culturally, like that kind of stuff, which was at the time, you know, for when I was at that age, it was like what was driving me and what I felt I wanted to do. And, say, and, and not to say that those concerns, those political and those cultural, social issues are not so important to me. They are because of my biography, but a different approach to it. And and that's something that I find I've become more allergic to that I used to really gravitate toward and, and champion and and enjoy was politically based art or agenda art, you know, or or, or, or nowadays still, you know, given the how history has unfolded in the last five years, last two years, uh and and, and in the United States and, but how some art, the, the agenda in art and in film, right. And has kind of, you know, really, you know, it's kind of have like this renaissance, you know, like this kind of re, but sometimes it's like, you know, it becomes like, I find a lot of the artwork though doing, you know, doing a lot of work, it be, turns into like this sloganism, you know, it yeah. feels like you're on a soapbox. And it's like okay, maybe it, it, that's needed for some audiences, but I, it's like I, I, I get it. I, you know, it's like I, I, I don't, I don't, I, 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 you know, like just particular artists. I'm not going to name anyone, but particular artists that, you know, they have this body of work that's that it's very in your face, and it's all about you know, on the soapbox. And every once in a while, like poetry slips in, and you're like, oh, I like that. But it's like right. it seems like a lot of poetry is being lost, and and the subtlety is being lost because of this, you know. You know, when agenda starts to drive the work, it's like, eh. Yeah, and I wonder, too, if with the the sheer amount of information and imagery that's getting out there, if people feel that necessity of almost like illustrating the idea up front of the message as opposed yeah. to the slow burn, because, like, who has time nowadays to, right. you know, take a moment and look for that poetry and the quiet or... Right. You know, and right. I couldn't help but think I know it's totally different from your work and your aesthetic and all that, but not to keep you know 
beating the drum of it, but it reminded me a little bit of like, you know, early punk music had the tension and the aggression and the cathartic yeah. release, but it also had lyrics yeah. that were so in your face, like effing, right. you know, this, you know, right. it was so blunt. And now it's almost like you can actually just hear the music instrumentally and the sonic tension of that yeah. is is the real core of it. And that's more universal because it's not just like telling everyone to, you know, the F off and like, you know, screw right. you sort of thing. So it's it's kind of like, like you're saying, you could pull, draw them in better if it's not just surface in your face. Okay, here's my message. I've signaled it and now you know what it is and walk away. You know, how can you sort of, you know, lace that in into the the fabric of the way you make something or into the you know the entirety of it instead of it just being the front of the narrative do you think it's i mean it's probably the product of the times. is it a sustainability thing I mean, you know as simple as if you are an artist and you're on you know your images are mostly getting out on social media you have to do the artistic version of clickbait like you have to be like in your face and even when you walk into a gallery, I mean, you know, let's not get into the artwork that's designed for for selfies, for backgrounds, but um, is it about, I don't know. I think um, so. I think you're onto something. It's like the art fair thing. It's like if you know yeah. you're, you're, you're going to be in this big show with thousands and thousands and thousands of artwork and you're one of a, in a booth of a lot and then there's all these other that you want to make something that like you could feel pressure of like oh, i gotta make something that's gonna stand out and that right. changes that's like the right. making a single as opposed to making a record you know there what you i mean go. it's just there a different way and maybe people who grow up in that way of thinking about it adapt to it or maybe it becomes kind of you know an unfortunate uh, it's like a victim of the system that you you know you just feel like you have to make these things that just punch people in the face one time, as opposed. So to it's all singles now. Yeah, it's all singles. You know, but you know, I have to say, I went a few days ago. I went to the, the gallery where I show, and you know, and I was just driving through Chelsea, you know, like getting over to the west side, and there were all these stores like CVS's, and a lot were closed down, and a lot were there, and there were people walking around and then I got to the gallery and I thought you know there's kind of something really nice about the fact kind of with artwork you just have to go to the gallery and go see that yeah. stuff in person when I walked in because right. I do it I, I don't go around the galleries a lot you know right not as right. much as I used to sure get busy you know you have a family you like yeah. it gets busy yeah. you know so but when you go in there and you're like ah this is yeah. the stuff yeah. and you see a group of images and you walk through it and you know right. I said to to my deal, I was like, you know, there's something really great about the brick and mortar necessity of this stuff. Like you got to yeah. go in really at the yeah. end of the day. And, right. uh, there's something, maybe that's nostalgic or kind of like, you know, it's almost romantic or antiquated or whatever, but it's something really beautiful about that of like going to the experience or, or being surrounded right. by it in a way. But yeah, the single, the singleification, I think, is maybe baked into the process a little more with artists and creative people yeah. now. Creative, just as I'm yeah. sure if you're a filmmaker, you're not just thinking, all right, I'm going to make this movie and it's going to hit screens and maybe it'll go to yeah. DVD or something. Now it's like, right. all right, is it going to stream at the same time? Do we break up these trailers? Right. we got to do this, blah, blah, right. you know. Right. But then again, if yeah. you're an artist of your time, I guess you, the good ones will adapt to the the way that the vehicle of of it getting out changes and you become very um 
talented at utilizing that those changes to accelerate or to broaden the hit of what you're doing instead of making it cheap and quick. You know what I mean? Right. And, and at the end of the day, isn't it just also the audience that you're interested in or going for? Because, you know, you know, you could have those 10 different artists on social media. And like you said, the, the work that you experience walking through the gallery and your experience as you're scrolling and the art, and you know, and then there's the artist who has 2 million followers and there's the artist who has, you know, a thousand followers and two totally different audiences, right? And, and, and while within the fine art realm, right? And you have, you know, people that are these like uber pop people or the, the, uh, you know, so it's like the, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, you know, it's all different kinds of entertainment, different audiences. Um, if an artist is making something that's, you know, just pop rehab, you know, very accessible, it's going to have, you know, 2 million, 3 million eyeballs on it. And, yeah. and when you walk into the gallery, sometimes I think it's almost the same. As, so, so I guess it's like, is it a choice made by the artist and the audience who decides to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how how that phenomenon. I mean, it's it's intentional, right? Yeah, and I don't. I, yeah, I can't wrap my head around. I think it's a forest from the trees thing. Like we can't really, uh, yeah, see it yet. But my hunch is is that it's this like the, to go back to the beginning. It's like the cycle, and it's the same thing. Like there's probably a difference between like Warhol and John Wesley or something. Like there was Warhol right, had the million followers, right. and Wesley had like fifty. And right. then later on, you see the value in both, or that the you know, or that, yeah, it's always been happening, and it's just changing, yeah. and it's so hard to adapt. And a different, right? Yeah, no, you're right there. Yeah, because it, it's just um, like what's that? Trying to make me think of that quote. I forget who said it. Talking about um, are they talking about Coltrane? Um, like difference between being great and being you know, well-known or famous, right? Oh, yeah. Or, um, just because somebody, you know, like, it's like, it's like funny, it's, it's, uh, I'm reading this book by that Iranian filmmaker, Abbas Kuristami, and he was saying, like, you know, you could take some of the, um, perhaps some of the most uh, valuable modernist or contemporary art, and if you were to go into the middle of nowhere and put it out for sale, like, at a slot meet, you couldn't get five bucks for it, right? You know, um, and you know, um, I don't know. It's just, um, and you might get a million for that Bob Ross. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's the name of that dude who does the um, the guy who, who got the with sixty four million dollars for that? Uh, is it the, what are they called? EFTs? The, uh, the oh, fun, NFTs. The, uh, the NFTs. What's People? that dude's name? Yeah. Um, like that whole other, because that just turns into something else. Like that's just, yeah, and that's yeah. just market. That, that 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 that's something else. This is commerce. Yeah, it's commerce. It's I just mean, straight up commerce. And it's straight really weird because there's nothing. They're just it. I mean, that can translate into a whole discussion about the value of of money or the value of yeah. you know in general. Because like the NFT thing is, they're just gifs or like you know Photoshop. They're just. Picture. Yeah. There's nothing. 
like handmade about it necessarily, but they are creative things. Sure. But to to say that they're minted and like these are signed or whatever, it's right. just I I'm like a little old school when it comes to that stuff. Like in yeah. I sell animation. I'll make an edition of yeah. my animations, but I actually will make something right. to give them. I, like yes, I won't right. sell it as a QuickTime file because I feel like that's exactly. bullshit. Like you could just download it's it from bullshit. YouTube yeah. or whatever. So exactly. I will hand make something different than anything I do. You know right. what I mean? And then I feel like yeah. then I can sleep at night feeling like exactly. these people have some. <laughs> maybe I'm right. just old school or a purist about that. <laughs> I feel like the NFTs is just a way for people to like try. It's it's like cryptocurrency. It's tried a way to like hit the lottery basically. Right. You know what I mean? And I get it that some people who work digitally can help sustain and make money off that and God bless them if they can or whatever. But I just don't like the whole like blowing up and selling thing for millions. Like once auction houses get in on it, you know, it's damaged goods. Yeah. It's like they will jump in on late in the game. They'll jump in on anything. They'll jump on anything. I think it's going to fight. I mean, do you think that like our kids generation, that's like going to maybe look at that as like, no, unless it's, you know, sustainable and not going to destroy the, you know, the planet, our kids, like, wasn't there, like, am I wrong that there was a bit of a backlash by really young artists not, like, shitting on the NFTs? Probably. Because of, uh, like, saying if you're doing an NFT, you're just, like, a dirty fucking pig, capitalist pig, <laughs> and you're just going to, like, you know, uh, I think you know, that might be. But. Yeah, I don't, I have to be honest with you, I haven't followed it that you know, yeah. that closely. Neither but I will yeah. say it's the the reason it's particularly like confounding or like a, a it's tricky is it's giving artists like people in their home like you know the the ability to go directly and make a lot of money off something sure. so in a way you're circumventing galleries and you're circumventing yeah. all that stuff but conversely you're turning your whatever that thing is into a commodity like directly like i guess we all are when we sell it but you know it, it just makes it kind of like I don't know. It, you, it's it's just real commercial in that sense. Because it's different. Like, it comes from a different history. Like, that guy, I forget his name again, the, the, the multi-million. Yeah. Beeble or Feeble? Feeble? Beeple, B-E-E-P-L-E. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, I was reading that he, uh, yeah, like, he was outside of the, you know, he's been outside of the art. He didn't go to art school. He was just, like, some dude. He's a computer programmer. A techie guy. Yeah, computer programmer who made, just started. But he did some yeah. cool, like, like yeah. graphic animation stuff you know what i mean he yeah. was like doing that yeah. stuff and that but that's just like hitting the you know that's like those artists they're pretty good who get out of school and they get you know it never really happens but you know get picked up by like a huge gallery and they make tons of money and sure. then like two years later everyone's like oh that artist bullshit and then like get rid of them and they cast them off right. as if it was yeah. their fault that their market right through the roof right. you know right. it's just right. like right. you know it, it it's like any musician that's an overnight success or like they their song goes viral and next thing you know they're they're just in that spotlight so because i guess it's like hard to like you know you can't measure it or should be judging it with the same ruler that you're looking at other art like you know like i i, I think it's maybe cl- is it closer to like the street art and to that kind of history which has its own history which is outside of like that Western canon that we're also used to yeah. kids who went to art school. I think so. Yeah. The know? digital, I mean, I teach a class in digital painting and, yeah. um, I have all kinds of kids in that class. I mean, there yeah. are the ones who love anime and manga 
and right. they're the ones who are just pure gamers. They want to do background yeah. game scenes, right. and there's ones right. who love like gifts or like internet art, and you know, yeah. there's a whole bunch of lanes there. You know what I mean? That are yeah. that have been going on for a while, and that people yeah. are really into. And I think the easy thing to do as a quote unquote like fine artist is just cast that away and be like, well, that's all like crap. You know, like it's not like real art. Right. But um, no, but you shouldn't. No, that's no. Just, that's, there's there's that's, really that's the amazing wrong. stuff being made in all those. Yeah. genres of making work and there's all also terrible stuff just as there's terrible paintings being made right now like as Correct. we speak there's an awful Correct. still life that just happened right <laughs> exactly. so i mean you know it's just it's like everything yeah, yeah. I, I think people just love to categorize and like you know in hierarchical um hierarchically position you know this work over that work and you know that's it's yeah. always problematic because those other right. things those new genres will be end up becoming something that's you know super mainstream and that people are you know like i, I is damien hurst doing nfts probably probably you know what i mean jumping on yeah. that bus so i i think sure. you know there's the good and bad the ugly in every one of these you know yeah with the galleries with its internet art nfts or whatever you know, but yeah, all I care about is like, is it, is it interesting? Yeah. That's what you care about. It's like, is it interesting? Is it, is it, you know, is it, inter you know, is it what, within what it's doing? Is it pushing, you know, the boundaries of what that is, you know, in that history or whatever it is, which is, which is right. Cause we're, we're, we're in the forest, right? It's like this history is happening. It's being, it's making itself. Right. Well, the interesting um, thing though, that I will say about NFTs is that it's post production. So in other words, like these interesting yeah, new things, yeah. NFTs is right. just the, you know, commodification of it. There, yeah. It's like, you know, you're, you're minting this digital work. Yeah. So it's, it's basically an alternative art market for this stuff. Well, what, what were those plates when we were growing up that you could buy on the, uh, on late night television, you'd call in, it was like a plate. Uh, it was like the Franklin mint plates. Remember those? Like oh, the limited yeah, edition. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Those things. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, it's like that kind of like QVC kind of mentality. And it's like only 49 left of these. You know, it you is. Well, and it's like eBay in. in a way too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I trolled, you know, vintage guitar, like reverb.com. I'm on there looking at old vintage <laughs> guitars and that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I mean, you know, if I see There's like a, a 57 Gretsch hit on there, I get really excited. Get but excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's these portals. They're like the gallery system's yeah. a portal. It's all, they all have their ups and downs and ins and outs. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the end of the day, there are people sitting at computers, like drawing on tablets and stuff, making some pretty cool stuff. I know. And there are some making some not so, not so you good know, ones. As okay. in any genre. At the end of the day, it's like any genre. Are you? Are, is there anything that you're up to that we should know about? Like, are you gonna um, are you working let's on? See, what am I up to? What am I up to? I'm up to. I'm working on a finally do my. Uh, I'm gonna shoot a movie next year. Nice in Miami, and uh, and it has to do with everything we were talking about. But I don't want to say too much about it. But it's going to be shot in Miami, and it's based on a very close personal story that I know character that I grew up with very particular um, I'll just give you a little tease it's about this guy that I knew growing up who shipped himself in a crate to, to Miami to get out of the country he lived in because oh, it, yeah. it was it, it was a bad scene where he lived yeah so he had to so he smuggled himself in a box um, and he shows up in Miami and he ended up uh, and, he, and he was weird because he abandoned his family he never like could just cut them off and he ended up 
living a very weird life working for this family, um, almost like an indentured servant. And it's just a very, so it's like his life and how he escapes and gets out of that. So it's like a little, it's like a little story, a little movie. Um, uh, but you're going to shoot it all of, down there. Yeah. I'm going to shoot it all down there. All local, all real locations, real people, uh, a lot of non-actors just casting real characters and people that I know on the street. And, um, nice. um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's thick, it's fiction, but it's based on right. going to have all these elements to bring in this, uh, hopefully do something. So it's going to be a little different from the other films I've done. I mean, they all have some visual stylistic things going on, but it's a different, I think it's a different, um, It'll be the longest film. It's going to be like a feature length. So it'll be the longest piece nice. I've done. We'll how long do how you, that... how long are you predicting it's going to take you? To make, well, yeah. it's like we're in the middle, you know, it'll be like a month of shooting. Okay. It'll be like a, yeah, like probably like three or four weeks of shooting. Um, now it's like what they call, I guess, in the film, like a micro budget right. feature, you know, which is like breakneck. It's kind of like a glorified documentary with like a controlled documentary. You have like a, like a documentary sized crew basically. Yeah. And you're going to real locations and you're just following the script that I'm, I'm currently finishing with a writer. Um, so, but it's a lot of, um, it's more of like an outline, right? You, you don't want to have it too planned out, but, um, yeah. but it's, no, yeah, it's, it's going to be done for, by, by, for very modest means, you know, it's like one of those kind of, um, you know, um, so I'm excited about that. It'll happen. So if everything goes right, I'll be shooting next summer. Nice. Um, Hopefully the world won't have yeah. have imploded again by yeah, then. Let's, but let's hope it stays together. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so, yeah. Look forward well, to thanks, that. Thanks, man. Amazing. This was great. Yeah, it was great talking to you, and uh, you know, thanks for doing it. It took us a little bit. It's funny because sometimes the people I've known the longest, it actually takes the longest to sort of line it up. But it's really <laughs> nice to like reconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anytime, man. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. Please don't forget to head over to customink.com slash fundraising slash episode 300. There's only like two days. Hopefully you're hearing this when it first comes out. There's like two days left after this airs to grab one of the guy and I designed Sound Division episode 300 t-shirts. We need like around 10 more for them to go into production. And they're really cool. So hopefully you can support the podcast through that. And uh, I always think it's cool to have like a t-shirt, podcast t-shirt, be able to wear the sound of vision. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, your support. Thank you to Michael Lovett. Thank you to Sean Seymour and Lullatone for the intro music and outro music. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors, Fulcrum Coffee for the longest standing sponsorship, keeping me supplied in the studio and caffeinated on the podcasts. Also, many thanks to Lewis for doing the podcast. Uh, a couple more podcasts before, actually one more before episode 300. I have a really great guest for 300. Excited about episode 301, 350, 400, and on and on. So please support the podcast and leave a rating review on iTunes if you can. Spotify, I think, now has like a system where you can rate and maybe give it stars or something so anytime you do that it helps spread the word about the podcast many thanks for listening